0: I would love it if everybody would be paid equally, but I do not trust that people are being paid equally. I just don't. Mm -hmm. I would love it if that was the case. But what history has proven to us over and over and over again is that we do have to ask. And sometimes you ask and still get the no. (laughs) Like to be clear, just because you ask does not mean you're going to get a yes. And that is infuriating and not, I want nothing more than to close all of these wealth gaps, all of them, yeah. insert here, all of them, like really. Yeah. But um, until the companies are responsible enough to do it themselves and feel like it's the right thing to do, then yeah, I am 100% going to encourage every single one of my clients to ask for more.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman and this is Punk Rock HR. In each episode, we take a realistic but slightly cynical approach to fix and work, bringing you raw and honest conversations with disruptors, innovators, and even random working people like you and me. With one goal—to reshape the workplace as you know it. But sometimes we take a break from all that and talk about real life, like relationships and well-being and kids and animals. And along the way, we drop a few f-bombs too. Whether you're an HR professional trying to do the right thing, a leader looking to connect with their people, or just fascinated by workplace dynamics, this is your destination to fix work once and for all. On this episode, I'm speaking with Asia Evans. She's a licensed mental health counselor, a financial therapist, a writer, and a fintech consultant. And on today's show, we are talking about financial wellness and financial therapy. You know, anytime I have a therapist on the program, I'm really doing it for myself. And in today's episode, we're talking about it all what it means to grow up with scarcity, to have abundance as you get older, how to deal with your money, where to start if money is challenging for you. And if you just don't feel in control of your cash or your finances in your life, how therapy can move the needle. So if you're interested in having a conversation about money and also, really about worth. We'll sit back and enjoy this conversation with Asia Evans on this week's Punk Rock HR. Hey, Asia, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, thank you for having me, Lori. So excited to get into it.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to host you and talk about money, which is such a taboo topic for many people. But before we get started, can you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about?
0: Sure. So my name is Asia. I am a licensed mental health counselor who focuses on financial therapy. So I pretty much talk to people about their money and their feelings about their money and relationship and mindset, all the good stuff.
1: Well, I like that you started with the phrase financial therapy because one of the things I know about you is that you do work in trauma-informed financial literacy. So can we break down all of those terms and figure out what they mean, and maybe start with financial therapy.
0: Sure. So when you think of financial therapy, what we're talking about is your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around your relationship with money. So some of the more internal things that you don't realize are there every day, but might influence what you do with your money and some of your money behaviors.
1: Hmm. And what is trauma-informed financial literacy? So
0: when I think of trauma-informed financial literacy, how I would say is that you are leaving room and creating space for people's variety of experiences, which may include trauma, and allowing it to be a safe place to then educate somebody about finances. And I think what can be really difficult for people is that um, we only have the experience that we have had, but that may be very, very different than the experience somebody else has had. So just taking into consideration the variety of different experiences people have around money.
1: Well, you know, when I, um, on the surface level, think about money, I think, what does that have to do with trauma? But then I think about my own story and my own life and just the way that I've navigated through the world, and it makes sense to me. But can you describe in greater detail how trauma can inform our perception and our relationship with money?
0: Sure. So I think some of the past, you know, financial advice that we have had and have seen throughout the years has said that money is not emotional, and I just completely disagree with that (laughs) and think that money is extremely emotional. And I can't imagine what would be more emotional than whether or not you can provide or take care of your family or yourself. So that's kind of the basis and the foundation of where I'm coming from. So when we talk about trauma and money or financial trauma, what we're talking about are some of the very traumatic experiences that happen to people with their money. Now that could mean a parent lost a job and that meant that you lost your housing or you had to move from the home that you grew up in into a different home or move into a home with family. You're still safe, but it can be really traumatic, especially if you are younger and don't understand everything that's going on to leave home and not really know why or if your family had to file bankruptcy, or if you didn't have enough. And when I say enough, that could be anywhere from enough clothes to, hey, our electricity is being turned off, or we don't have enough food. All of that can be very, very traumatic.
1: Yeah. You know, I think about, again, just my own story. I'm, you know, a data point of one, but I survived and thrived in this world despite some early issues in my life. And then what I found as I was an early careerist is that I had to go back and help others as well. And so I was still very close to that trauma, still trying to help others. And when I spoke about some of my financial challenges to supervisors, bosses, heads of human resources, I constantly heard the message, well, you just need to know how to budget. It was almost like a double trauma. It was the trauma that I had endured as a child, the trauma I was going through as an adult trying to deal with other people going through things. And then a workplace perspective that, you know, we pay you and what you ought to do is learn how to budget properly. Is that a constant message that we tell to people in the workplace? I
0: definitely think it comes up way too frequently. I think that budgeting sounds really good when it comes to, hey, if you just manage your money better, or if you spend less than you make, then you'll be okay. That is very complicated and complex when you're talking about the issues that you experience. So for you, in your example, and thank you for sharing, you're talking about what you lived through as a child and coming up into how you are managing those feelings maybe coming up again as you were helping other family members or yeah entering back into the situation as a point of support and then asking for help and they're like yeah you should just budget like you can't budget yourself out of an emotional triangle that feels really bad to you like it is not about the money it's about the feeling and while HR is really important for companies and for people to feel safe, that could also be that people are not always comfortable dealing with the high level of emotional intensity that comes with financial stress.
1: Yeah. You know, Asia, I asked you on today also because there is this trend in the workforce right now to prescribe financial wellness programs, right? Technology platforms, tools, or to bring that into the workforce as part of a benefit plan. And I'm struck by how often we make assumptions about our employees, when we give these prescriptive tools, right? Money is finite. Emotions are not. And I think when we have these platforms as one solution, we forget that people are people and bring all of themselves to work. And there's tension there. And these financial solutions in many ways are destined to fail. But tell me, what do you see on the horizon? What do you see out there when you talk to workers? What are companies doing right and maybe doing wrong in this realm?
0: Yeah. So I do like that companies are now realizing that their employees would benefit from financial wellness. So the fact that they are even taking it into consideration to me is a positive. While financial education is very, very, very important, that is only one component of financial wellness. So yes, financial education, great. I love that you're providing that to your employees, but we also have to company that with something else. We have to pair it with the emotional side of money. And to your point, every single person comes with a different perspective, experience, and baggage. And I don't use baggage in a way that can be negative. It just means that you have lived a whole life, right? Decades of your Own experience. So to say that one size fits all, and this is exactly the steps that you need to take to get to financial wellness, leaves out the nuance of people's experience. And no companies nor anybody else can say, hey, I've got the solution for everybody. But what I want companies to do is to leave room for the nuance, leave room for the experience, and create a space that allows their employees to say, you know what, that may not be my exact experience, but I can relate to that because of this other experience I had. And maybe I can use some of those tools or some of these teachings to incorporate into my life without ignoring my past experiences and my emotions
1: that come up from the past and today. Sure. That makes sense. So when I think of financial therapy, I think of a one-on-one experience that I am having to understand my story and to you know, accommodate for opportunity in the future to maybe improve upon it. But when I think about financial therapy and the construct of the work environment, can companies really offer that benefit? Is it realistic? And what what does it look like?
0: Yeah, so what I have seen, so I have done both. So I am a privately practicing therapist clinician um, in New York City area. So I do meet with people one-on-one for exactly what you're talking about. And when I've worked with companies on the flip side, what it has looked like as a workshop. Now, depending upon what the company wants to do and what their resources look like, it may be a workshop here and there to layer on to themselves. So it could be a workshop on financial education or Financial literacy, then another workshop on financial therapy that's really focusing on the emotional aspect, and then another workshop to combine both and have the conversation of how your emotions might impact what you do with your finances and your financial behaviors. Now, if you kind of leave those two things siloed, you're not giving to me the full picture of financial wellness. So are we saying that the company is going to provide financial therapists to everyone? I mean, I would love it if we would get there, maybe not. <laughs> but what they, it sounds like, and what I've experienced is that they are trying to at least invite the conversation to say, hey, we recognize that this is a little deeper than we originally thought. So let's provide some resources.
1: Yeah. When I think of financial therapy, especially when I was in my 20s, caring for younger family members who needed, adult intervention, I remember having to make some choices between paying my student loans and helping a family member go to prom or investing in my 401k or helping to pay someone else's tuition. And, you know, I knew the importance of investing in myself, but I also knew the realities on the ground. So can you talk to me about that tension? I can't imagine I'm the only person in the workforce to have ever faced it. And what would financial therapy have done for me in that moment?
0: Yeah. So you're definitely not the only one. And I think, yes, while the situation you're talking about for you was unique, that situation is not unique on a whole. So a perfect example, there's been a lot of chatter about the cost of daycare lately and how difficult that is for families to manage the high cost of childcare and what that looks like. And do people need to choose to, like you said, pay their mortgage or pay daycare or pay their student loans or pay daycare? So Kind of this, oh goodness, I'm not in a position to do both at the same time, is really, really important for people to recognize, hey, oh gosh, this is really uncomfortable. What do I do? Now, what's important is, how do you choose your priorities? Like, you, of course, investing in yourself is really important. And when you are in your 20s, it's a great time for you to be investing. But also, if you're talking to a brother, a sister, a niece, nephew, cousin, and they're like, hey, I can't go to prom. That's a really big deal. And if your priority is like, I want to make sure they have this experience, then foregoing the investment that month to make sure they go to prom is a worthy investment. It just may not be an investment in you that month. It doesn't mean you can't go back. It doesn't mean you can't make up for that money that you would have put in. It just meant that this was more important this month. And I think we need to give ourselves a little grace to say that. So if I was your financial therapist at that time, that's what I would tell you that, listen, you were investing the fact that you were even thinking about this right now. You are worlds ahead of so many people and that's beautiful, but this month you're going to make sure your, your relative goes to prom and that's beautiful. And you need to remember that investment emotionally that you're putting in yourself, even though it may not be going to your 401k.
1: I think that's really interesting, though, the tension that you bring up between a future you and present situation like boots on the ground. Because you're right, for so many, it's a choice between daycare and mortgage or daycare and paying off their student loans or a car repair or an emergency that happens in the home precludes them from making that contribution to the 401k right away, right? So... I, it, there's always something, I mean, that's the thing about life. Like life can be relentless, especially for the middle class and the working class. So when do you start to invest in the future? If money is a finite pool, do you, do you get what I'm asking at? You can obviously see my financial scarcity brain coming into play here. <laughs>
0: And it, that's what's really hard for people. And I think sometimes we assume like, if I'm not putting in $500 a month and I'm not investing at all, put in 10, put in 25. If you can put in a small amount of money for a future you... It will not always be like this. Your kids will eventually age out of daycare. Your cousin will be able to get a job and then hopefully be able to supplement their income and their needs. You will not always be in the same exact situation you're in. So even if it is a very small amount of money, whether it's investing or paying off your student loans or what, like insert here, (laughs) insert the scenario here. Whatever it is, just put the small amount of money in there. And that's okay. And recognize and remember that it's okay. I think so quickly we're kind of this feast or famine, like, if it's not a ton of money right now, then I missed the opportunity and I get nothing. No, I mean, it might not be a ton of money, but something is always better than nothing.
1: Hmm. I think, you know, so much financial literacy could be easily, and financial therapy could be easily focused on this idea of scarcity, but there are also people like me who have then grown into abundance and have done financially well, who feel very guilty if they don't give back and also feel pressured to give back, maybe at the expense of their own future financially abundant goals. So can you talk to me about the need for financial therapy and wellness for people who are actually doing well financially?
0: Yeah, I think that this is a great point that everybody needs to talk about because to what you're saying is that so frequently we talk about the scarcity. We talk about somebody who's like, hey, spend less or just budget your way out of the hole. You don't have enough. Like what we're saying is that there isn't enough, but there is a whole flip side of people who make a ton of of money. They are living in abundance and that's beautiful, but they have stuff that they need to work on as well. The thing about money is that it really doesn't care how much you have or how little you have. Like your feelings are always going to be there about money. And the way we have kind of quote unquote problem solved is to say, well, if I had more money, I would feel better. No, sometimes more money, more problems. And What happens with people who have more money, there can be a lot of pressure. They can be living up to the family standard that they don't want to To live in. They don't want to do those things, but they feel like they have to, or else they will not have the financial stability that they've once had. Or that there's a position of, hey, I have all this money that after not having money growing up, and now I don't know how to spend it. Nothing is more heartbreaking to me than somebody who has worked so hard all of their life and has created a beautiful retirement account, but now they don't know how to spend it. And they don't spend their money, they just kind of have it. And that is comforting. But I'm like, now's your time. Enjoy. This is really important. So, there are a lot of scenarios where people are in a position of financial stability and a position of financial wealth, but they're still very, very, very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I also just think of the ordinary individual, right, who is making good, good living, keeping up, you know, making payments on their bills, saving. But they also feel, because of economic times, realities that we're in, that all of this can be taken away at any given moment. Can you talk to me about the rise of layoffs and how that kind of impacts the way we interact with money, the way we view money, and most importantly, the way we interact with ourselves?
0: Yeah. Well, what you're talking about is stability and people's fear of not having it. So if you are if The thing about where we are right now is that we see so much of what's going on. Before social media and before the level of globalization that we have currently, you may have heard about some things here or there or read a, about it in the paper, but it was not in your face, day to day, every single day, with like this person's laying off this many people and ten percent of the company, and it leads itself to a heightened emotional intensity that is like, oh gosh, am I am I not safe? Like, do I need to worry about my job when your job may be very very secure? So. I would tell people to just be mindful of when you feel yourself getting activated, when you feel your temperature rising, when are you starting to sweat thinking about, oh gosh, am I gonna be laid off? And then think about what your money actually looks like. Hey, if you were to be laid off, What would happen? Where do you have your reserves? Where are your savings? Where are your short-term and long-term savings? What does your family need to survive if you lost an income? So yes, we have to think about the emotional side and kind of how we regulate getting activated and, you know, the excited energy of like layoffs here and there and everywhere. But then also too, like what is our financial plan if something were to happen? So we need to live in both
1: places. Hmm. Makes sense. You know, as you were talking, one of the strategies that you mentioned was mindfulness. And I think that's a really important strategy. That's a good global strategy. No no matter where you are on the strata of your finances, mindfulness is probably very good. Are there other universal strategies or skills or approaches that we should have with our money and also more importantly, our relationship with ourselves?
0: Yeah, so I think first is to have a plan. Um if you have and when I say a financial plan, like yes, that could be a plan that was drawn up by a financial planner, that's amazing, good for you, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. So I'm going to use the just the terminology of just a financial plan. You could write it down on a piece of paper and that's your financial plan. But knowing what you want your money to do, how do you want to live, what makes you comfortable, what do you need, so that could be an emergency fund, that could be what's your monthly spend as a family, what do you need in savings to feel comfortable and safe, and that is only up to you. Everybody will have a number that feels secure to them, and that's fantastic, but what you need to know what you need. So having a plan for your money is first going to really be helpful to you, and then thinking about like, hey, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want to be able to do for myself? What's really important to me? And that's because as much as saving is really important, so is spending your money and enjoying it as well. So I think having the plan, knowing what you want, knowing how you plan on getting there is gonna be really important. And then I would say taking a breath and pausing is really, really, really important because when we are upset or when we are worried about something or stressed out, Our urgency to problem solve in the moment can be really chaotic, and what you're trying to do is just stabilize the problem, and sometimes that is a little short-sighted. So we want long-term change, so breathe when you're upset (laughs) and take the pause when you feel like you're in crisis versus moving anything, like don't do anything with your money before you kind of calm yourself down.
1: I like those recommendations, but I think there's something implicit in there that one must believe they... they deserve a life where they can have a plan in the first place. And one must believe that they deserve to be able to have some intentionality around their money versus being a victim of circumstances or a victim of the market or whatever. And I just think about so many individuals in my life and my coaching practice and my work as a human resources leader back in the day, people really felt like they not only were not in control of their money, but not in control of themselves and didn't deserve goodness. Does that resonate with you?
0: Yeah. And that's when I'm like, okay, we need to book an appointment because if (laughs) I'm like, let's book the appointment because if that is bigger than just like, okay, hey, I know what to do. And this is why it's so important to pair the financial education with the emotional side. Because if you are receiving messages or have received messages or are believing yourself when you say, I don't deserve to feel comfortable, like I don't even feel like I have any agency over my money, then we need to have a deeper conversation about where those thoughts and feelings are coming from, and how they are impacting you today. And what people don't realize is that self esteem can be really closely related to how you show up with your money and how you feel about yourself because of the financial situation you're in. And that, you know, can require some support and some intervention. So, yeah, that would be the time to um, book an appointment.
1: Well, I just wonder what happens if we don't pay attention to any of this? Because, you know, I have family members who have gone through bankruptcy multiple times, right? Who have every dime they've had in their pocket, they've always spent. They've never placed any sort of emphasis on their future. So, what happens if we just ignore all of this? We just keep going to work. We just keep living our lives. I know in some of my family members' cases, they died destitute, and that's what happened. I mean, is that is that where we're headed with all of this? Like, what are some of the scenarios?
0: I mean, I think those are perfect scenarios that you listed, honestly, that people will just kind of feel like they have to keep working and, and spending, and it just – it cycle that folds on top of each other itself over and over and over again or that they just keep repeating the same patterns. Now, this isn't to say that everybody needs a financial therapist, but it is to say that if you find that your patterns are interrupting your ability to be happy, if your patterns are interrupting your ability to be healthy, that is something that needs to change and can change. But you have to realize um, that there's a problem in the first place. You have to see, oh, I keep doing this and I don't want to anymore. And in my past life, I had worked in addictions. And one of the things that they always say is like, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And really what that means is I was so sick of the same patterns and doing it over and over again that I'm sick of myself. I don't want to live like this. So I have to make, I have to make a change. So first people have to want to make a change and think that it's possible. And sometimes you need the support to say like, it's definitely possible, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time, but we can get there. And sometimes you need somebody else to believe it before you can believe it too.
1: Hmm, That's really interesting. So if someone were to book an appointment initially with you, I think many people fear having someone do a deep dive on their finances. So is that where you start? Like, You don't automatically audit someone's checking account, right? What do you do? Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Absolutely not. So if somebody comes to me as their first few sessions, what I am pretty kind of auditing is their life. (laughs) So their family, how did you grow up? What was money like growing up? And I'll be honest, that is just as scary as somebody showing me their bank account and their checking account, talking about their parents and their guardians and how they grew up. Because it can be really painful. A lot of humans go through a really hard time. And we don't talk about that enough, especially if somebody's a success story. They're doing great. They're so prosperous. They should feel awesome. No, it doesn't always look like that. It's really hard to move through some of the traumatic past and and what it meant and these ideas and these thoughts and these themes that you integrated into your own story and now believe about yourself. So no, we're not looking at your money first. We're we're talking about your feelings and your family.
1: <laughs> I have to tell you I have a financial success story of my own. Just the other day, my 14-year-old niece has been working and saving and she really wanted to buy a pair of gym shoes and so she sent me a text message and said, "Auntie Lori, I really want to buy these gym shoes. Can you show me how? And Asia, my first instinct was to just buy those shoes for her. You know, like I want to give. Kids should need for nothing in this world, right? But I stopped. I paused. I took a breath and I said, I will absolutely show you how to order these on the internet. I'm happy to do it. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for trusting me. And we walked through it. And I figured it was more important for me as the auntie to recognize that she worked hard. She saved her money. And also to respect the fact and to love the fact that she trusted me enough to teach her a life skill of ordering something on the internet, which can be dangerous in the future. But, you know, I'm there on the ground floor doing it with her. And I was just so proud of myself because I think the older version of me really would have swooped in. So I share that success story because that comes with, you know, 40 years of therapy right there. But I also wonder, what does success look like for your clients, for your patients in your practice? What what does that look like for the ordinary person who's like, yeah, I'm feeling better about money?
0: Yeah. So it looks like, hey, we've been working together for a certain period of time. I did not think I would ever change. And now I'm starting to incorporate these little processes that stop me or cause me to pause before I do something. So people are still in debt, but what they're realizing that, oh, you know what? I'm not immediately going on Amazon when I'm upset. I am noticing that I am going on Amazon when I'm upset, so I'm not doing it. Or I'm returning some of those clothes that I bought when I was upset last time. I don't need to do that. Or um, I have some clients who have gotten out of debt and they're like, Asia, I wasn't even looking at my money six months ago. I did not look at my money before I worked with you. And now not only am I looking at my money, but I love using my budget track tracker. And these are not trackers that I have created for them. These are trackers that my clients are like, hey, you know what? I found this and I took a little from that and I went on Excel and I made it beautiful. I have these skills from work. I use them. I can use them for myself. And that is, I could cry. It just makes me so happy that somebody went from a place of like, I am completely hopeless. I'm not even looking at my money to I'm able to pause. I'm not shopping. I know when I'm upset. I'm using a different healthy coping skill for myself. I'm paying off my debt. Like what? This is Sometimes I'm shocked and I know I do this work, but I'm just so proud of them. And when you feel hopeless and you are anxious and you are waking up in the middle of the night like how am i ever going to get out of this this is never going to change to see that there is some hope and that somebody went from point a to point b to me it that's why i'm here like that is why i'm doing this work cuz that is so powerful and then they start talking to their friends about it
1: <laughs> amazing amazing when you talk to people about money it turns out we all kind of have the same issues, right? We we have the same apprehensions. It's all weird. Um, so glad that you are facilitating these conversations in the world. Is there anything else you would like our audience to know about the work that you do? Anything you think they would find meaningful to understand why financial therapy and why financial literacy is so important?
0: Yeah. I just, people, like I said, feel so alone. You are not alone. Let me tell you, you are not alone. You are not the only person to ever navigate what you're going through in some way, shape, or form of capacity. It just feels that way. And right now it feels that way because you are in isolation. So you have to start talking about it. And it may not be to the people who are around you, but this is like part of the beauty of the internet, right? And part of the beauty of social media, you can find a community who feels like they have been where you are currently or has some of the steps. And of course, you want to vet them to make sure that they know what they're talking about and they're not leading you astray, but start talking about what you're going through. Share with your friends how hard it is to pay for daycare and making these decisions and not investing that month because you were helping with prom, but how good it felt to be able to help with prom. So have these conversations, know that you're not alone and the information is out there. Like, I'm really – I'm in the process of learning something new right now. It's like, wow, everything is out there. Like, it will take you some time. All the information you can need is out there some way. So if you can crowdsource and find, you know, reputable people to learn certain things from, all of it is at your fingertips.
1: Asia, do you recommend that people talk about how much they make for a living?
0: Yes. <laughs> I do. I I wouldn't blanket that statement to everybody. I don't think anybody should, you know, stand on the roof of something and shout out their salaries. But if you have people who are around you and who you trust and you feel comfortable with to have the conversation and especially if you were in the same industry, especially if you are in if you were a woman. So having those conversations with people who may be at the same level or in and around where you are to say, hey, this is what I'm making. Oh, this is what I'm making. And compare and contrast. I will never forget one of the jobs I had a while ago. I, Me and my one friend, my like work bestie, we would talk about money. And she had said, she's like, Asia, you negotiated and I know you make more than me because you negotiated and you asked for more. And she's like, and I didn't ask for more. And and I told her, I was like, well, this is what I make. And it turned out I was making $5,000 more than her. We were doing the same exact job. And I just asked for more. I just asked. And I had to practice asking. I had to practice. I practiced on the phone with my mom right before they gave me the offer over the phone so I could say the number because I wasn't ready to say that number out loud So yeah, talk
1: to your clients. Do you work with clients on that to help them ask for more? And also, by the way, wait, can I take a step back and say, why do we put the onus on women to negotiate? Right, in the first place. That is so frustrating. And that's one of my, I think, biggest complaints about financial wellness and well being from an employer perspective. If you just pay people fairly and make a commitment to erase the wage gap, well, we don't even need to bring in a tool. I mean, maybe we do, but you know, like we help ourselves out here. So, okay, so you've got clients coming to you talking about their financial issues and you help them negotiate. How does this conversation happen? Because I would imagine some people are very, very angry that they have to negotiate in the first place or they find out that they didn't negotiate and they're like, what the heck? Why do I have to ask for that extra $5,000? So talk to me very quickly about the emotions around that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's very nerve wracking and it's very uncomfortable and I wish we didn't have to. I would love it if everybody would be paid equally, but I do not trust that people are being paid equally. I just don't. I would love it if that was the case. But what history has proven to us over and over and over again is that we do have to ask. And sometimes you ask and still get the no. <laughs> like, to be clear, just because you ask does not mean you're going to get a yes. And that is infuriating. And not, I want nothing more than to close all of these wealth gaps, all of them. Insert here all of them, like, really. But Until the companies are responsible enough to do it themselves and feel like it's the right thing to do, then yeah, I am 100% going to encourage every single one of my clients to ask for more. And it's not necessarily what they come in for to work with me on, but when I know my clients are looking for new jobs, which they'll bring up or they're thinking about it, I ask them like, what's your number? What is the actual number? Can you say that number? I do what my mom did to me, to my clients. Can you say that number out loud? Because if you can't say it out loud to me, who you know and who you know cares about you, we've been working together, it's gonna be really hard for you to say it to that hiring manager. So what's the number? Say it out loud, say it again. And we will practice. And I'm like, what's your, I will not take this job number. What's your middle ground number? And what is your like ask? And I I really do encourage them to, to go the higher number. And sometimes I'll tell them, add 5,000, add more. <laughs> They're like, Asia, I can't say that out loud. I'm like, okay, then ask for what's your other benefits? What's your time off? Will they pay for therapy? What do other things look like? It doesn't always have to be money, but start having these conversations. So yeah, I I really encourage, I push my clients. I do. Well, I'm
1: so just grateful for the time that you spent with me today, really talking about worth and money and self-esteem and all of these topics and how they're commingled. If people want to learn more about you in your practice, where should we send them?
0: Sure. So you can come to my website, which is asiaevanscounseling.com. I'm also on the social. So I'm on Instagram, and that is Therapy. Um, as well as TikTok a little bit and on LinkedIn.
1: Well, we will make sure to link to all of that in our show notes and all the good stuff we'll put it up there. And I just want to thank you again for being a guest today on Punk Rock HR.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. Show notes and more can be found on punkrockhr.com. This episode was expertly produced by Emerald City Productions, and we would all appreciate it if you left us a five-star review. So go to wherever you stream your podcasts, like Apple or Spotify or iHeartRadio, and leave that five-star review and your thoughts on the episodes themselves. Now, that's all for today, and I really hope you enjoyed it. We will catch you next time on Punk Rock HR.